From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me. Don't be nice <laughs> at Jim Kramer. In football, they talk about a concept. It's called any given Sunday, meaning on any given Sunday, a weaker team can beat a stronger one. We call it an upset. And if you're a gambler, the payoff on an upset can be gigantic. But as always, betting on an underdog is risky. They can look terrific in the first half before crumbling into the close. And that's how I feel about today's action. The market started soft, then roared with things looking real good around the day before the whole thing collapsed at the close. Dow ultimately inching up just 36 points, but the S&P sinking 0.65%, and the Nasdaq tumbling 1.1%. Sell, 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 sell. Sure, the Dow did okay, but investors care a lot more about the S&P and the Nasdaq. That's where the real wagering is, not the antiquated Dow. Remember, right now, bulls are looking for signs that the Fed's winning it's war against inflation. Something will give them an excuse to go a little easier in the economy. On any given day, we could get some bullish data, you know, a couple of good points here and there. And if they're big enough, it gives us a glimpse into what the market will look like when the Fed is done bringing in the pain. The house of pain. Today we got a temporary upset. Let's call it a first half upset. Why? Well, we came in. Oil was down. Oh, well, you know, you like that if you're a bull. It stayed down all day. Even better. Crude's been a mainstay barometer. Anytime it rallies, it drives policymakers just bonkers. Given that OPEC Plus recently cut production, today's decline in crude says, hey, maybe we shouldn't panic. The price is going right back to 100. It was a very good sign. Now, I acknowledge that these day-to-day moves can mean nothing. But you have to remember that the bears, not the bulls, are in charge right now. So when the bears see oil plunging... They get nervous. Short sellers have made so much money in this market betting against stocks that when they see anything going against them, they're quick to want to take profits. And shorts ring the register by buying buy, 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 Just like the longs make their money when they sell, 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 sell. Stocks. The bears would be less nervous if it weren't for the producer price index number that's coming out tomorrow morning. 
Almost all the components like trade services, warehousing, construction, transportation services have either stayed flat or fallen since the last port. How do I know this? We have them all on the show. That's one of the reasons why we have these guys on the show, to get the pastiche, if not the mosaic, of the economy. We know that other than last week's non-farm payroll report, the Fed really only cares about the consumer price index at this moment, and that comes Thursday. Now, those, are, those numbers are potential bobs. Still, the PPI, as we call it, is more like a landmine, and the bears don't want to step on it. Now, we got some terrific, in quotes, news about housing today, too. Uh, Bank of America's Institute reported that it's, and I quote, growth rate in wire payments to escrow and title companies has been slowing and turned negative in 2022, end quote. In other words, fewer home builders. That dovetails with what we heard from the New York Fed which talked about household spending expectations falling sharply with their largest one-month decline since they started collecting this data in 2013. Home price growth is now declining, too. The lowest since June of 2020. Now, I'm going to give you a little primer on the housing business. Tell, stop me if you're in real estate and you sell it and buy it, but otherwise keep listening. What does all this translate to? It means that home sellers must be ready to start Banging down bids. Sell, 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 sell. Remember, the Fed's on a crusade against housing inflation, and they can't win as long as there's a widespread belief that if you buy a house, it's going to go up and down. However, if you think your house may be losing value and it's for sale, you're going to do something that people haven't been doing for years in this country. You're going to lower the price of your home to make it move. Now, the Fed's desperate to break this cycle of rising housing prices as homes have gone up an average of 40 percent in two years. We know how the housing cycle works, though. When there are too many homes, the Fed cuts rates and buyers step in. Prices start going up and and a lot of volume trades. The home builders, of course, when they see that, they start adding capacity. Then we get to a point where mortgage rates go up. And while new homes keep being bought, the sellers who are used to ever-rising prices, now wait to see if there might be an even another leg higher. Greed! At that very moment, an amazing thing happens. Just like with stocks, the dreaded equilibrium is reached and greed turns into fear! Homeowners start getting nervous that they're being too pricey, that they're being too greedy, that they'll miss the top. It's a big game of chicken where some try to stay higher, but others just give up and they start taking the offers. And then the cycle turns. It always does. And prices start coming down. And then start outright plummeting in the more inflated areas. This is exactly what happens. If the new homes from the home builders aren't stopped in time, there will be a severe industry correction. And that takes a lot of the inflationary stress out of the system. You must know that the Fed wants a severe industry correction. They want your home to be worth less money. It's okay. We know that home products companies like Leggett and Platt had a negative pre-announcement last night, and that company, which has, has yeah, little to do with autos, but it's got a monster home business and betting. Well, that's good news. That plays in the Fed's playbook. Again, when we see that we get encouraged, not discouraged, it, it, it means the Fed's winning, and it's bringing down the house crusade. Now, here's the issue with all of this. Every game's got two halves. Everything I just gave you is from the first half, the morning. When it looked like the bulls were winning. But then as the afternoon went on, traders, particularly short sellers, start thinking that as good as these data points are, are to make the Fed ease up. Well, wait a second. 
maybe they're absolutely terrible when it comes to the earnings of companies that are involved. Is it really good for Home Depot or Lowe's or Macy's if people are spending less money in their homes? Do you want to own a stock at a paint company or artificial decking maker? How about Whirlpool? They lose all that original equipment money. How can Wayfair do well if Leggett and Platt did poorly? It can't. It's almost impossible to imagine any of the plastic or chemical building plays. How about the paint companies doing well if the economy's slowing enough to make the Fed scale back its rate hikes? Oh, and the skittish tech owners can't take pain, and they bolt as always the near to the end of the day. Whoever owns these tech stocks, I got to tell you, you got to. There's Xanax, there's Lamictal, there's Clonopin, there's Seroquel. Hey, I took one of those on a Friday. I woke up on Sunday. Today is a day when the Fed always wins. Always. Okay? Once they get aggressive about tightening, all sorts of companies start doing badly. Then let's throw in some bobs. We know this administration generally favors labor over capital. Have you noticed? When we hear the gig economy workers like those who work for uh, Lyft or Uber may be considered contract employees who are entitled to much bigger benefits, we know that's the Biden administration trying to give workers a bigger piece of the pie. Hey, good for them! Obviously bad for the stocks of Uber and Lyft. Surprises like this are all negative for the stock market. We can't expect the White House to do anything pro-stock, except maybe as a side effect of something else they actually care about. By the way, the chaos in Britain is just as bad, where the finances of the entire country seem to be up in the air, both because of some impenetrable pension rules and a hapless government. That led to a big reversal in our bonds. Oh, man, nothing's good at the end of the day. In business, I always say there's no give without a get. Right now, the give is that you get your portfolio all going down. The Fed's bringing the pain unless we all make money. The get is that you'll eventually be rewarded with lower inflation followed by lower rates. We're very much in the first phase, though, the give phase, where we're giving up earnings gains and upside surprises. This is the phase where we both where we get excited when business is weaker because it means the Fed might not have to hurt us so badly. The question is, how long do we have to wait between the give and the get? Will it take ages for the lower prices to sink in? Let me give you the bottom line here. On any given Sunday or Monday night, the Raiders can be beating the Chiefs in the first half. And then the Chiefs can come back roaring big, make a huge disappointment. Today was the day when the Raiders were in charge in the first half. But holy cow, the figurative Chiefs, yes, the absolute overdogs, the favorites, won. Despite spotting the Raiders in an awesome first half lead. Can we please, can we please go to Charlene in Pennsylvania, please? Charlene. Hi, here I am. Hey, Charlene, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Go Phillies. Go Birds. Yeah, go Birds also. A <laughs> couple of Phillies talking. All right, what's up? Uh, well, I uh, just wanted to know what my future was with DocuSign. Very disappointing. We don't want to be in DocuSign. They don't know what they're doing. They don't even, I, I don't even know if they can figure out, like, who should run the company. They got some new CEO. This is a pandemic play and the pandemic be ended except for it's kind of back but no one's using DocuSign more than they used to I'm gonna add I'll give you three some Peloton DocuSign and the Atlanta Braves I no, I'm I'm sorry I'm in zoom okay Mark in Iowa Mark hi Jim I hope you're doing as well as your Eagles are uh, well I'm as well as my Eagles and my Phillies uh, you know, it's kind of a great time to be a Phillies, a Philadelphia fan, as Coach Nick said the other day in a great press conference. How can I help? Well, I'd like uh, what you, to know what you think about a stock of a company that's back down to its pre-pandemic price level. I do know that from listening to you that the feds will raise the interest rate to the point that the WFH factor is lower. 
so what indicators should I look for, or price points should I look for, that would tell me that the dividend would be protective during these times for PG, Procter & Gamble? All right, Procter & Gamble's got one of the best balance sheets in the industry. They're an amazing company. It's obviously in free fall. My travel trust has been buying here. Why? Because we think raw costs are going to come down and be able to keep up the price of the premium. i got a piece later in the show that demonstrates exactly why this could happen. But right now, it's hated as if they're going to pre-announce any day now. I'm not sure they're going to, but I would tell you that it's not expensive versus its previous years. In business, I always say there's no give without a get. Right now, the give is your giving up gains in your portfolio, and the Fed's bringing the pain unless, well, and until we all make less money. The get is you'll eventually be rewarded with lower inflation, followed by lower rates, and then higher stock prices. Oh, man, money tonight. Yesterday, we covered the best and worst of the Dow, and tonight we're taking a closer look at the S&P. We get a sense of what's working and not working there, and boy, there's some real bad. And in the midst of a kidney volatility, I'm still a fan of individual stock picking. Hey, so let's do this. Let's go off the charts on a handful of names that could actually work in this environment. And CBC's own Julia Borson is out with her new book, When Women Lead. And I'm learning more about what she learned and how it could apply to your investing strategy. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
bear markets really play with your brain. They love to mess with you. You get shortfalls from great companies like AMD and NVIDIA. You get cyclical stocks trading at three or four times earnings, yet that turns out to be expensive when the economy falls apart with multiples exploding higher because the earnings collapse. You get super high-yielding stocks that look like great investments right up until they cut those dividends, or the Fed raises rates so rapidly that the dividends become paltry versus what you can get with risk-free treasuries. And then they tantalize you with something so simple, so obvious, that you say to yourself, what the hell was I thinking? I, I, I'm trying to use traditional analysis when all I had to do was kind of look around and see the future. So as we look over the best and worst performing stocks this time, the S&P 500 for the third quarter, we just needed to be Captain Obvious to spot the winner, Constellation Energy. Fortunately, I, I am Constellation. I'm Captain Obvious. That's what they call me. See, back in May, I recommended Constellation Energy because it seemed tailor-made for all those ESG funds, a utility with 90% carbon-free assets. This company's the dominant nuclear power plant in America. And if you care about climate change, nuclear is the only thing that can replace fossil fuels at scale. Constellation is an old news story. A utility spun off by Exxon back in February that seemed perfectly crafted for this ESG movement. Not just because they can use their nuclear power to help clients reduce their carbon footprint, but also because it's been a genuinely good corporate citizen when it comes to the environment. I think Constellation stays on the top of the heap because it's got a nice, consistent business that provides 10% of the clean energy on our nation's electric grid. Honestly, I'm surprised it was only up 45% in the third quarter, given that it's a utility that works in a market where the utilities are very much back in style. Second best, well, here we go, same deal from the Captain Obvious, and it's end phase. The stock rallied 42% because it produces and installs clean home energy. They help convert solar power into electricity and also provide storage solutions. Even better, Enphase actually makes money. Wow. It had almost $1.4 billion in revenues last year and has, has installed 25 million units. I told you at scale, the stock is volatile. But it's been a great buy on every dip. I bet that continues. A real blow to the Republican state treasurers who want to pull their funds from ESG from the ESG movement. Putting politics aside, it's simply a bad investment decision. Sometimes you have to admire bounce-back candidates, like one we've had on the show so many times. Etsy, up over 36% in the third quarter. At the peak of the bull market last November, Etsy traded at $307. Then it plummeted to the high 60s at its lows this summer. Since then, it's rebounded back to 105, including a monster move last quarter, in part because it had gotten so oversold. While Etsy's sales increased during this period, their earnings lagged. Still, the uniqueness of their platform and the shrewd management of CEO Josh Silverman has made Etsy the Amazon of handcrafted goods. It's become a must for a generation of mall avoiders. Speaking of bounce backs, Netflix had a swan dive you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy with the stock falling from $700 since November to $162 at its lows in May, in part because the market turned against growth stocks, but mainly because its growth really did slow dramatically. More recently, talk of an ad-supported tier managed to jumpstart the stock, and it rallied 34% in the third quarter. I don't, I, I, Netflix ever deserted really to trade at either extreme, you know that? But as is the case with so many stocks, the pendulum swings brutally after severe overvaluation. I am optimistic that it can keep turning in this one, though, as long as they don't botch the advertising launch. I don't think they will. Some of the numbers are about as high as, say, $600 million they could bring in. That would be a total needle mover. 
I look at these, I wonder, I never told you about the Jim's None Better pickle labels that I bought from Etsy, where they said that, it, it, that it, she told me that I was one of the best of the None Better pickle people. Finally, there's the S&P five, fifth best performer, which is Biogen, up over 30%, which can be explained by some positive news related to their anti-Alzheimer's drug. Call me skeptical. We own Eli Lilly for the Chapel Trust because we believe their Alzheimer's drug will be the dominant one. I have a lot less confidence in Biogen. No conviction here. Although, to be honest, the whole category is a long shot. All right, how about, here we go, the biggest losers in the S&P over the same period. The downside is a lot more brutal because there's such high risk here, even after the declines. That said, the fifth worst performers I actually think is intriguing. It's called VF Corp. This one's a fallen angel. It's an apparel company with an amazing brand name. I mean, Vans, Jansport, Timberland, North Face. I use all those. Unfortunately, apparel is totally out of style in the apparel Wall Street fashion show. And Vans, the chief growth engine, has indeed slowed dramatically. However, while VF Corp's doing worse, it's no disaster, which is why I think its 32% decline this past quarter seems just too over the top. At these levels, it's got a nearly 7% yield. But after the disappointing numbers from Levi's last week, I have no faith in VFC's ability to rally as much as I want it to rally. And it's not about one, it's not about hope, it's about money. Hey, fourth worst is Catalan, down 32%. Now this is a contract manufacturer for all sorts of drugs and vaccines. It ran afoul of the FDA. I think this one suffered from guilt by association with the ne'er-do-well Emergent Bio, a similar company that developed vaccines for J&J and was cursed by FDA problems. As I see it, Catalan's decline is pretty big versus the scale of its transgressions. but. The vaccine they messed up with was, ouch, Moderna booster shot. You can't do that, right? So it's fresh in people's minds, even as the FDA seems to have moved on. Kind of an interesting stock here. All right, third worst performer, not interesting, Lumen Technologies. Lots of times during the light round, I get a call about a company with a sky-high yield. I, I always say you can't reach for yield in these situations because it can be very dangerous. And that's how I feel about Lumen, formerly CenturyLink, which I also hated. One of the old line phone companies that's trying and I think failing to learn new tricks. That's why I can't trust its 15% dividend yield. It certainly didn't protect you from Lumen's 33% decline in the third quarter. This thing should be in the penalty box given its declining revenue and heavy debt load. Moffitt Nathanson says the leverage ratio leaves investors uncomfortable. I'd say that's an understatement. The leverage ratio is terrifying. I wouldn't touch Lumen with a 10 foot pole. I'd even bring one out to illustrate, except the last time I did that. On the set, I, I chipped my front tooth. All right, the second worst performer is FedEx, down 34%. Makes perfect sense as anything shipping related is going to get hit hard in a Fed-mandated recession, especially if it's a worldwide recession. Sure enough, FedEx pre-announced one of the worst earnings misses I've ever seen. Very grim commentary about the global economy, and I like this company. After that kind of shortfall, the stock goes in the penalty box for at least three to six months until we see better numbers. That's in all my books. That's how I feel. How about the biggest loser in the S&P? Charter Communications, off 35% in the third quarter. Charter's got a real predicament. It's a cable company in a market that really hates cable. While the company's profitable, it's saddled with no growth, so the stock's not going anywhere. In another tape with a more merger-friendly White House, well, hey, maybe Charter would get acquired for its cash flow. But in this one, I think the Justice Department would just say no, and it would just be an upheld battle. If I were an acquirer, I wouldn't even bother. Bottom line, this is a harsh market with harsh criteria. Constellation Energy and Enphase can meet those criteria, but everything else in the winner's circle seems capricious, and the losers, 
Just not enough there to take a risk. Even as some of them, like VF Corp and Catalan, certainly seem due for a bounce. Bad Money is back after the break. Comedy, huh? Open your hearts. Kramer's going off the charts. Keep it here on Mad Money. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. We finally got a temporary reprieve from full-scale selling today, thanks to some weaker housing data and some softer oil prices. But for the most part, those gains didn't last because the data comes at lower profits for the companies. That makes for a truly horrific market, though, one that tempts you to come in back every single day we get oversold and then burns you a day or two later as the bear quickly reemerges from hibernation. Right now, this market's got an ocean of bad charts. There's very little to like. But we also uh, got some very positive rare islands, and they're all strange, frankly. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carolyn Baroden. She's a brilliant technician who's teaching at im.academyfx, the Stocks and Futures Academy. Normally, I'd also highlight her for an incredibly informative Twitter account, Queen of Fibs. But somehow they suspended her for impersonating herself, very Kafkaesque. But I hear she's back now. When we asked Baroden if there were any bullish charts, any ones at all, she seemed to, she hesitated. And she says she sees some potential winners. In her view, even the S&P 500 might put in a low later this week. But she did not jump to the conclusion that there's a buy-buy-buy situation. So let me give you some specific examples, and you'll know why I really mean it when I say she doesn't really have a lot of ideas that you want to buy. Because the first one we're going to start with is Twitter. Yeah, because Broden's broad-minded enough to consider, well, you know what, wait a second, that the chart, even when the company's giving her a headache, could work. Check out the daily chart. Twitter's made a pattern of higher highs and higher lows, which is a textbook sign of strength. At the same time, all the important moving averages that Broden watches are on the side of the bulls. Twitter's trading above both the 200-day and the 50-day moving and simple averages. That's important. She also likes to watch the five-day exponential moving average and the 13-day exponential moving average when the five-day crosses above the 13. That's her favorite buy signal, and we've got them all right here. This has every single box checked. More importantly, Twitter recently has held above its key floor report. Based on her Fibonacci methodology, Broden could easily see the stock running to $53.43 or even $54.87. <laughs> Sounds like what, where must they buy it, right? Now, she could even make a case going to $60. Yeah, I, I'm not buying that one. My caveat with Twitter, 
is that this is all about Elon Musk being dragged kicking and screaming into buying Twitter for $54.20 per share, up 4 bucks from where it is currently trading. I think your upside is capped to that level and something goes wrong. Wow, the stock will plummet through broad support levels in the mid to high 40s, at which point she says you need to go bearish because the bull thesis is toast. I think it's really the chart of a hilarious egomaniac with a plaything and a box of crayons. What was it, Serena? What was that one? Sepia? Remember that day, like those weird ones you didn't understand? Next up, take a look at the daily chart of Valero. Yeah, the big oil refiner. This one's a cleaner story <laughs> because we have a shortage of refining capacity in this country. Broden likes that Valero is trading above its 200-day moving average, plus the five-day exponential moving average is above the 30-day, meaning the stock, it's a buy. After breaking out above a prior swing uh, uh, higher last month, Valero has now pulled back to a level that's right above a cluster of support. So right here. Remember, Broden likes to measure the size of past swings in the stock, and she runs them through the prism of Fibonacci ratios to find key levels where that stock is likely to find support or resistance. With Valero, there's a cluster of floors of support running from 106 to 108, down a few bucks from where it's currently trading. Broden believes that there's only about 10 points of potential downside if the floor breaks down, meaning it could go to the mid-90s. On the other hand, as long as the floor holds, she can see the stock rallying to 123 with the next stop at 127 and a longer-term price target at nearly 133. Hey, you know what? That is what I call a solid risk reward for what I think is America's best refiner. Next, take a chart, take Gander at the chart of a Warren Buffett favorite, Occidental Petroleum. Oxy for short has become a lot more attractive now that OPEC's actively moving to prop up oil prices. Broden points out that Occidental recently made a low at a key symmetry support level. The concept of symmetry is a little weird, and a given stock moves in a single direction are often very similar in scale. It's in the same world, this kind of analysis would never work. There's no logical reason why stocks should trade like this, but we don't live in the same world, do we? In reality, you can see these symmetry moves popping up in all the charts all the time. Like a lot of things involving technical analysis, you don't need to know why it works. You only need to know that it tends to be surprisingly reliable. With Occidental, the stock had a $19.74 decline back in May and in June. Okay, uh, Then it had another decline from late August to September that took it down $19.70. Broden suspects that move gave us a sustainable bottom. doesn't hurt that Occidental's lows overlap with two other Fibonacci price retracements that give it a nice floor in the high 50s. The stock then ran to the low 70s, but it's pulled back. It's now down to 64 today. Broden hopes it pulls back a bit more. She'd be a buyer between $60.56 and 63 One caveat, though. She also wants to wait for the five-day exponential average to go back above the 13-day. Remember that she's liked that each time, meaning her buy trigger has yet to be fulfilled. However, she does expect Occidental to bounce. As long as last month's lows hold, she could see Oxy running all the way to $82 or even $89. On the other hand, if that late September low at 57 is violated, she says you need to throw in the towel. Now, finally, let's talk about something that's really kind of intriguing to me. The broader market, the S&P 500. Right now, Broden's watching for some crucial Fibonacci timing levels in the S&P. Based on the duration of past swings, she says we've got a group of time cycles coming due from now through Thursday. That means we are due for a real bounce. 
Although I caution you not to get too excited in this environment, given how uneven today's advances and decliners were. All right, here's the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Carolyn Baroden, suggest that Twitter, Valero, and Occidental Pete could have some upside here. I'm more cautious on Twitter because it's an arbitrage play. But the other two have my attention. And wouldn't it be something if the S&P actually caught a bottom here? Let's go to Cush in my home state of New Jersey. Cush. Yes, my son has a question for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe kids got horses. So let's take a listen. What's up? So, so my question was on the stock Exxon. Like, OPEC has cut down like 2 million barrels per day of production. And right. gas prices are steadily rising, and so is the barrel of crude oil going. So what are your thoughts on the stock Exxon? Go Patriots. I like the stock Exxon. Uh, you, 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 the kid does have horse sense. Yeah, I told you. Kush is, Kush is smart. And let me tell you why I like Exxon. It's still well behind the other oils, and yet it's got much more aggressive management. I think you're fine in Exxon. I buy some here and then buy some more if it goes lower. How about Glenn in Connecticut, please? Glenn. Hey, Jim. Yeah, hey, big, big, boo, big booyah from Connecticut. And, uh, oh, I love thank you, partner. What's going on? My question is about Twilio. Is it, I'm, I'm averaging in the mid seventies. Is it a buy, sell, or hold? Oh, see, now Twilio's guy it, it has got to be betwixt and between because I'm not recommending any stocks that are losing money. And Twilio happens to be losing money. That said, it's got a, a chart that's bottoming, and it's got a company that's run by a really terrific guy by the name of Jeff Lawson. I would no longer sell the stock at sixty-seven. Where would I buy it? I think it's a hold, and that's all I can say about it. Charts interpreted by Carolyn Broden suggested Twitter. Hmm. Valero and Occidental P could have some nice upside here. I'm more cautious on Twitter, but the others, they've sure got my attention. Much more made money on, including CBC's Julia Borson. She's out with a new book, When Women Lead. And I'm finding out more about what she learned and why it's so important more than ever. Then, something rational is going on in this market, and I'll reveal why your cereal bowl could be behind some major gains. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. In a tricky market like this one, oh boy, and it's tricky every day, we're always looking for an edge that can give us a leg up. But maybe there's one advantage that's been right in front of us the whole time. Jimmy's own Julia Borston has a new book. It is really terrific. It's called When Women Lead. I got to steal it away from my wife. Filled with case studies that show how women are uniquely equipped to not only lead and grow businesses, but also navigate them through times of crises, I think, better than men. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with the fabulous Julia Borston, our own. She's the senior media and tech correspondent. Julia, it is so exciting to have you back on Mad Money. Thank you so much, Jim. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I've got to tell you, I read your book. I am always looking for an edge. It's true. And I realized and have done some empirical work, but this really is the definitive, that if you can find boards that have more women than men, uh, particularly in consumer product companies where the women are the big shoppers, those companies tend to outperform. You know, you've done so much work for this book. It really does verify that view. Yeah, there's so much data. Companies with boards that have equal numbers of women or just more than a small, teeny tiny number of women, they tend to outperform. Management teams that have more women, they tend to outperform. Startups led by a woman or a co-ed team, they tend to outperform. Even VCs, an an industry which is incredibly male-dominated. If you add a couple of women to an investing team at a VC, 
those funds grow their profits. Well, so then why are only 13% of the people, as I learned from your book, VCs women-led? That seems outrageous. It's, the numbers are tiny, but they are starting to change. And I'm hopeful because there's so much data out there. I know you love data, and I believe that the data is going to continue to drive change. Okay, but here's what bothers me. Data is what I call dispositive. So if I'm in a boardroom and I look at the board and we're selling consumer products and it's led by a man and the board's dominated by men, I have to say, what are you clowns doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes sense. If your customer is a woman and if women make over 80% of all purchasing decisions, it makes sense to have leadership of a company, the employees at a company reflect your customer base. Now, at the same time, there are just phenomenal CFOs who are women. I mean, one of my absolute favorites. I, I happen to, you know, you, when you say they're your favorites, then you're going to say, well, Jim, you're playing favorites. I don't care. Ruth Porat, amazing. Known her for years. Christine McCarthy at Disney. I, the bedrock of Disney, frankly. Amy Hood, knew her. I've known her for 25 years. I don't think Microsoft would be the same without her. What is it about the CFO position that attracts incredibly qualified women? Well, I would say, what is it about the CFO position or about companies that feel comfortable elevating women to that position because they have proven themselves okay. time and time again. You know, a CEO role is tricky. It is such a public-facing role, and it's boards that put C leaders into that CEO role. And you have to wonder how much bias, stereotypes, an archetype of what a leader looks like. Do people think a leader is supposed to be a man? Those things really have an impact. Damn, but we know that it's not true. I mean, one of the things that you say definitively in a crisis there's certain people who have been through a lot. Now, you, were, you wrote to me at one point in the book, say so you're a 33-year-old mom. It's not now. But that, that, there are learning lessons that you pretty much, how can I handle it? Hey, come on, I'm a mom. I know how to do it. So one of my favorite statistics here is that women tend to be more adaptable. In a crisis, you want to be adaptable. You don't want to be stuck with your ego and worrying about the plans you made before. You want to be following the data and using that data to look around corners and women are rated as more adaptable, and that's essential in a crisis. Also, really willing to get information from their team, not make decisions top-down, yeah. but pulling perspectives from across an organization. And we saw that away from your book with Secretary Romano from the Commerce Department, willing to reach across the aisle. Why? When I tell her, I said, how can you handle the crisis? She goes, oh, come on, I'm mom. I mean, what do you want from me? Obviously, she can. <laughs> now, let's drill down to some pretty amazing things. You have uh, managers in crisis who have just great case studies. Just give me one, because there's well, so many. Well, I got to tell you about Karen Seidman Becker. She's the CEO of a company called Clear. And if you remember, Clear was the company you would see when you'd go through airports before the pandemic. A lot of happy customers. Yeah, a lot of happy customers. But it was entirely reliant on airplane travel. Karen Seidman Becker was watching the data, watching the travel numbers. And in February, weeks before a pandemic was declared, she said, this is going to be bad. I know it. I'm not holding out hope. She slashed her entire marketing budget for the entire year, cut $24 million in marketing, didn't wait around to see how it was going to go. She said, I need to be decisive now. Decisiveness, another key characteristic of women and incredibly valuable in crisis. Also, she adapted. She pivoted. She started investing and in using clear as a health pass and using all that same technology for an entirely new, new use case. And here we are at the end of the pandemic and Clear is used in so many different offices, so many different buildings. And it's not just a travel company. It's a true biometrics company with lots of different use cases. Well, I like to think I talk uh, and walk. You know, our, produ our producer, Regina Gilgan, has been running the ship for years. 80% of our team is women. And the reason it is 
is because I want the best. And it turns out, who's the best? <laughs> women. Women leaders are pretty impressive. So let's just go with them and win, which is kind of, in the end, the goal of business. Of thank course. You, thank you very much. The book is When Women Lead. Those of us, I'm not just saying, you know, because I've got women in my family who are dominant players. I'm saying, because this is one great book. How many 60 executives you interviewed? I interviewed over 120, and there's 60 in here. Well, I got to tell you, your work ethic is incredible, and you do a fabulous job. Inspired by you, Tim. Oh, please. Thank you very much. CBC's own Julia Borson, and author of When Women Lead. Mad Money's back in the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Steve, Dad, tell me the lightning round because it's funny to start with Alan in Alabama. Alan. Hey, how you doing, Jim? I'm doing well, Alan. How about you? I'm not bad at all. All right. Not bad. Not bad. I was wondering if I could ask you about MGM Resort. Sure. I think the stock's very oversold, but I don't really care for that group. But you know what? I think anything can bounce in that business. Let's go to Andy in uh, California. Andy. Booyah, Jimmy. How's it going? Couldn't be better. Thank you for asking. How about you? No, not too badly. Thank you. The other day, you and David were having a conversation about the consumer basically going through all their money from the stimulus and COVID. So I'm wondering how that would reflect on my position in Take-Two Interactive, buy, sell, or hold. Well, I do think the Take-Two is run by a very smart man, Strauss Selnick, but I don't think that group is doing that well unless you do Fortnite or Valve. I do believe that the single-shooter games are the way to go, and the Take-Two is going to uh, mark time. Let's go to Rich in New York. Rich! Booyah, Jimmy Chill, long-time investor. Yo, the Chill Man's trying. club member. Yes, I'm telling you, we're working so hard. What's going on? I'm curious about Rio Tinto. I'm not looking for the capital appreciation, but what's your opinion on the hefty dividend? I think it's too low. I do think that it represents great assets. Whether the stock's going to reflect that in the near term, I don't know, but the assets are real. Let's go to Beige in Massachusetts. Beige. Hey, Jim, how are you? This is Badge from Boston. I'm... Hey, Badge, what's up, man? What's up? Um, I wanted to ask you about this cannabis stock. Uh, uh, cannabis stock. Uh, Till Ray. Which Brand. one be? Till Ray? Uh, look, it's Erwin Simon. He's off and on with Sarah. He used to come on with me, but I guess I must have hurt his feelings. I don't know, but he's not going to like this. Hold your ears. The cannabis space, it's still what I call too early. Too early. And canopy growth, too early. Have I stressed the moment of earliness? Okay, let's go to Andy in Pennsylvania. Andy. Andy. Andy, you're up. Andy from Pennsylvania. Andy. Andy probably was too busy watching that Phillies game. Turned it off too soon. Let's go to Tim in Texas. Tim. Hey, Jim, how are you? I'm very good. How about you, Tim? Doing well. Um, I just wanted to ask about um, the stock Pubmatic, ticker symbol P-U-B. 
All right, now this is an absolutely terrific one of these optimization platforms. Oh, I like Cloudflare, by the way. But it's so expensive, it's come down. It's no longer as expensive as it was. I think it's fine, not great, not bad. I do not have a catalyst for Pubmatic. Let's go to Chris in New York. Chris. Hi, uh, uh, Jim. It's an honor, and congratulations on your new home at the exchange. Oh, thank you very much. I do love it here. And how can I help you? Uh, yes, um, I'm looking at SCI. Is it a good buy, or do I avoid it like the house paint? The de- no, no, the death care business is um, um, a very reliable business. And I think that that is a good stock to own, SCI, and have for many, many years. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer carries the Any Given Sunday ethos to Wall Street. Look for the big upsets with Mad Money next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Do you remember the Twilight Zone where the, where the guy behind the bar actually had three eyes? I vaguely do remember that. Before the bus over the yes. Twilight Zone. I love Rod yeah. Serling. Well, I mean, I, I only have so many eyes. I now, just said keep an eye on it. I didn't no. say, to be fair, I didn't say all eyes. No, I, no, no not all eyes. That not is all eyes. Or all the heels up. You didn't do that either. No, I didn't do that. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. You know what you're looking at right here? You're looking at a table of pricing power. Sure, you might think you're looking at beloved cereals like Cocoa Puffs, Lucky Charms, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, even Wheaties. How did that guy get it to cover the box? At the same time, we've got Annie's, always natural foods. It's rocking, right? At least as natural as it can be. And then we've got Kramer Fave, blue buffalo, chicken, and brown rice. All natural because we love our pets more than ever. And we got a lot more of them during the pandemic. But what all of these brands have in common is the term pricing power. These are products made by General Mills, the incredibly boring food company with a stock that lives in the new high district. For the longest time, Mills was in the proverbial doghouse, getting crushed by the perception that it paid too much when it shut out $8 billion for Blue Buff back in 2018. They did have to do a big stock offering well below where they were trading when they bought the company. It haunted them for years. But nobody talks about that now. Blue Buffalo is the primo food for dogs. It's become the natural food alternative. And no one's been able to come in underneath them with a better offering at a lower price. That gives them plenty of pricing power. Or how about these cereals? We know there are a lot of knockoff versions of these things on the bottom of the cereal shelves. Everybody's got a store brand that's trying to copy them. But these private label offerings are simply, well, let's just say they can't make a lot of headway against these winners. The premium nature of these, of these cereal brands is simply unassailable. Good luck getting your kids to eat the knockoff Cocoa Puffs. That means General Mills can put in price increases to meet their costs. And these costs are considerable. But what's happening right now? All right, we're beginning to see the main reason for the cost increases stabilizing and even going in the opposite direction. We know that General Mills may have locked in some higher costs, but when you strip a box of cereal, what do you really have here? Well, you got cardboard, you got a plastic sleeve, and you have actual cereal. Now, the price of grains peaked for the, mo- 
Well, the price of grains peaked for like, I don't know, a while ago, okay? A couple months ago. Commodities are weaker. It's doubtful that they're using the spot price, but when they negotiate the new contracts, they're paying less. Anyway, the actual ingredients are a lot cheaper than the accoutrements that actually hold it. The biggest expense here is the packaging and the box of plastic portions, and they are coming down hard. Paper is in free fall, as are the chemicals that make plastic. We know that because we read research every day, which makes it clear that the cost of these building block commodities are going down. Of course, General Mills didn't have all that solid a margin on the portfolio this quarter, but the price increases did stick. Now they are in heaven. Going forward, the raw costs are all headed down. The price of advertising is coming down. On the other hand, the brand loyalty is supreme, and there's been no trade down whatsoever. They can maintain the recent price increases even as their costs come down. That's nirvana. The result, I think, that 2023 is setting up to be a tremendous year for GIS. No wonder the stock's 40 with its 52-week highs. That's where it belongs. Nice to see something rational happening in almost completely a rational market, isn't it? Even if it means we're all paying more at the register. I like to say that there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.